right, Ephesians 5, we're going to keep going. So we're about halfway through Ephesians 5. And uh, like I brought up earlier, we're going to get into kind of the stuff. Paul's like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. But today is one of those tough lessons. Because as I read this over the last couple of weeks, and I continue to read, I, I just, you know, I get these inclinations to look at it in the light of what we're going through today. And that doesn't always happen with the Word of God. Oftentimes, what's written literally is just exactly what it means for them in that time. And um, for people who exposit the Word of God to always say there's a practical application for your life today, for everything that's in the Bible is just untruthful. You know, I like that old saying, you're not David, right? It's like... (laughs) You can read about King David and him slaying Goliath. You're not David. There's probably not really a practical application. You're not going to slay Goliath. It's not a thing. But there are also cases like we're going to go through today where although as Paul is talking to the believers in Ephesus, this truly has a real practical application for our life and our walk as believers as we walk in the light and in faith of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be a lot of real good tie-ins. And as I continued to read this and continue to read this, my heart just kind of, it boiled up with this anger towards some of the false stuff that's out there. And I'm pretty passionate about this only because Carol and I brought the kids through some spots and some churches where some stuff is taught that should not be taught, where pastors should be held accountable, teachers should be held accountable, church leaders should be held accountable. Look, frankly, men should be held accountable in the church if you're allowing the church to teach things that it shouldn't, or you're allowing your family to sit in a church that's not teaching things, you are accountable. That's it, right? Like, you're the man of the house, you're the leader, you're the head of the wife, you're the head of the kids. It's up to you to make sure that what you're getting and what you're giving are right, right? You wouldn't do it on a team if you were getting the con ops and something was wrong. You would raise your hand and say, that's incorrect. That's going to get somebody hurt. Why would you not do that with your faith? Because this has eternal implications, right? So much more important than anything else that goes on in your life. So quick recap, as we get into Ephesians 5, verses 6 to 14, we continue to focus on imitating God. I think that's a, you know, when Paul begins this chapter, um, it's a great theme to imitate God. And we need to realize that there are things that believers do and believers that do, they do not do. Um, and the list of things that Paul has laid out that are not just considered sinful, but are considered really evidence of unbelief. And Paul is pretty clear about it. If people live this way, they don't believe. They walk in the darkness. He lays it out clear when he says things like sexually immoral, impure, covetous idolaters have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, which essentially means they don't believe. So they can tell you they're in the church. They can tell you they're a Christian, but if their lifestyle does not look like a Christian, if they do these things then they're not believers. They're liars. Um, and that's very dangerous because when we come in line and, and partner with these people, and we fellowship with these people, they lead others astray, right? It's like the bad apple in the bunch. You put the bad apple in, it gets the other ones, it makes the other ones start to rot. So we discussed the seriousness of teaching the whole truth last week and that knowing the whole truth can be deceiving, not knowing the whole truth can be deceiving, it can lead to dissent within the church, the dissent within your family, frankly, and eventually in your community, uh, which we see everywhere in our nation. And it's up to believers to ensure, really, it's up to you guys to ensure that we're teaching the truth, maintaining the truth in our lives and our families and the lives of our family members, and also keeping each other accountable, right? So it's up to me to keep you accountable and it's up to you to keep me accountable you know if you see something in my life and you say hey you should not be doing that you should not be acting like that you should not be saying that that is not consistent with the christian walk you know the right thing for me to respond with is repentance which is turn away from that act and not do it anymore that is how we act and work together as christians is through a series of um, accountability and repentance um and it doesn't, see, it, it doesn't seem like Paul's like on a real roll of good news here as we came out of last week. It's all like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. These people aren't getting into heaven. But the reality is Paul's trying uh, very hard and really just in all honesty to make sure that we know what is best. So sometimes that's just being very blatantly honest with people. Look, this is what's best for you. Don't touch the hot stove. It's going to burn your hand, right? There's really not a 
nifty, funny, fun way to tell your kids, don't touch the hot stove. You just tell them, don't touch the hot stove. It's going to burn your hand. That's the way it is, right? And he's trying to make sure we know uh, what's godly, holy, holy, and pure. Like a father with his children, we need to be able to discern for our home and then from our home for the church and then from the church to the community and society. So let's dig into uh, verse 6, and we'll do verse 6 through 14, and we'll read those, and then we'll start back on verse 6, and we'll just kind of do a little bit of exposition. (coughs) Excuse me. So Ephesians 5, we'll start in verse 6, and it says here, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're in the light, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, Paul here is very deliberate, imperative statements. And we've gone over this. I've said it probably 20 times already. But remember, this is the setup. Ephesians 1 through 3, indicatives, who God is, why he deserves what he deserves, how he set everything up. 4, 5, and 6, imperatives, the way we respond. It is imperative that we respond in a certain way. It's imperative that we love, live in a certain way, walk in the light. So deliberate imperative statements that guide us in our ability really to remain holy, to keep us safe from harm, especially when people are attacking us in as as people or in the church with false doctrine and that's part of what's going on right here is paul's like hey beware of people that are trying to lead you astray right and he says this in verse six he says uh he starts out with a series of statements there's gonna be five of them starting with verse six deliberate imperative statements that help us with our walk and we're going to go through those five so it starts out here verse six let no one deceive you with empty words let no one deceive with empty words. It's the first one. Empty really means fruitless. Words that have no meaning. Just stuff. So this is pertaining to the gospel, pertaining to church. People with empty words. Things that are not fruitful. Things that don't help the church, edify the church, or loving towards the people or the Lord. Um, those empty words are going to bring God's wrath onto them. Okay? So... If what a person says is okay for their walk is not supported by the Bible, it's a lie. So this is something that's going on in the contemporary church, right? Well, you know, Jesus didn't really explain that well enough for me, so I'm just going to do it anyway. No, that's a lie. The Bible's pretty clear about the way we should live our lives. It's very clear. If I feel like I can live a lifestyle that's antithetical to the word of God, but it's okay for me because Jesus loves me and he forgives all. No, that's a lie. It it does not work that way. When you are changed, when you are made new by the Holy Spirit and He indwells in you, you want to change. You want to become more holy. You want to live a different and holy life as the saints do. So this is literally the definition of sola scriptura, right? So sola scriptura, we talked about the five solas last year. It's one of the five terms developed during the Reformation. And it helps to keep us reforming or getting the church back to what it should have looked like when Jesus came to establish the gathering, to establish the ecclesia or the group, the gathering of the church. Um, And it keeps us close to Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't consider things like early church fathers. It doesn't mean we don't consider older writings, other writings, theologians. Sola Scriptura does not mean that at all. People who are against Sola Scriptura... Um, who believe in things like the magisterium, like the power of the church. Typically, this will be our Roman Catholic friends or Eastern Orthodox friends who really believe like there is some sort of power in the church leadership that comes from God. Um, Sola Scriptura, really all this means is Scripture alone is the authority. So if we have a disagreement about the way we should live our lives or something we should do, there's just one place we go. I don't have to go to a church father or to some sort of dogma. We just open the word of God. And if it's clear on it, then that's sola scriptura. 
the Bible says to act or live or love this way. The Bible alone. So it's always the authority when we have some sort of debate or when it comes to really simple things like who is Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? Who is God? Things like that, right? So sola scriptura, that's all it means. So the second point of the five is comes from verse seven and it says this. Do not become partners or the other word that's used in a different translation is partakers with them. So who's them? These are the people that are have these deceiving empty words. So it's explicit enough to end on the whole message of, of this, right? You could almost just say, hey, don't hang out with people who do those things. So if there's somebody in the church that is dissenting and teaching things that are not from the word of God or allowing things to happen in a church that shouldn't be, don't be with them. Don't be a part of that church if it's not teaching things from the Bible that are correct. He's, he's not splitting hairs here. Paul's like, don't partake with them. Don't partner with them. Very simple, right? So last week when we talked, we went over sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. We do not partake in these. Churches should not partake in these. If a church says that any of these things is okay, they are lying. Paul's saying, don't partner with them. So we should leave that church, leave that environment. First, try to hold them accountable. And then if they don't want to be, you leave. So there's a whole movement, right? And you guys know this whole movement of evangelicals who believe it is better to look like the world, to look like the world in an effort to get people into church. This is a big thing right now, right? So one of the ways this is done uh, is to fellowship with them regularly. Jesus ate with sinners. Remember, people will say this. Oh, Jesus was a friend of sinners, so I can be a friend of sinners. Yeah, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus went and ate with sinners. Jesus ministered to sinners. But guess what else? Jesus was God. He was sinless. It's much easier for Jesus to put himself in a position where he sat with people who he could correct than it is for you and I. If we spend our time in those places where people are sinful all of the time, where people aren't like us as believers, where we fellowship, not just contact, but we dive into the darkness, we know what happens. You start becoming like them. If you're anything like me, even a little bit, you can recognize this in yourself just by going to work. Because <laughs> when I go to work, I'm in a room full of people who are not like me overwhelmingly. Couple, but not overwhelmingly. And just the way people speak, it'll get to you before the end of the day. And you will notice at some point, I'm changing what's okay for me. And sometimes you need to press the reset button or go outside and get some fresh air because we're not called to look like them, okay? So the third point, verse eight, is walk as children of the light. So we've talked about walk a number of times, which is conduct, to conduct yourselves in a certain way. So what does that mean? Let's look at 1 John 1, five through seven. If you wanna turn there, I'll give you time. If not, I'll just read it to you. But walking as children of the light, 1 John 1, five to seven. This is what John says, it says, this is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, from Jesus. So John is saying, I heard this message from Jesus, and now I'm bringing it to you, that God is light. What does that mean, God is light? It means he exposes everything. Everything in God's purview gets exposed. He can see it all. There's no way to hide. In him, there is no darkness. So God doesn't have to hide from anything because he's God, because everything is righteous and good. There's no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. This is a pretty bold statement from John. Hey, if you don't walk in the light, you're a liar. <laughs> it's just pretty simple, right? I know it sounds judgmental. There are churches that would hate to say, hear that out loud. If you just looked at somebody and were like, hey, you're a liar. That's it. It's tough. It's a tough message. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Great reminder here. What happens when we're walking in the light and he is in us in the light? We have fellowship with one another. So it just goes to show that the best place for us to be as Christians, not that we shouldn't reach people that are in the dark, not that we shouldn't reach our neighbors that are in the dark, reach communities that are unbelieving. But the reality is this is the best place for us, fellowshipping with one another 
examining the things of the Lord with one another, breaking bread, doing communion, baptizing the sacraments of the Lord, spending time with one another as a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how we walk in the light. We don't just do this for our own good. We do it because it edifies the Lord because this is what he tells us to do. We're a family. I would imagine we're going to do this in heaven. It just makes sense, right? I mean, right now we're in the presence of the Lord because we assume we're all filled with the Holy Spirit and we have the word of God here in its fullness, the entire canon. There we get to do the same thing, but we get to contemplate him in his presence. If you imagine how great that's going to be. This fellowship. Fellowship is the thing that we're going to do while we're there. Fellowship and worship. So walk as children of light. So the fourth point is, uh, this is the third point. I don't know how many I'm on here. So it's walk in the light. So I uh, hear Third point, uh, fourth point, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is from verse 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What is discernment? Discernment is making a reasonable assumption about somebody's actions, somebody's words, or the result of somebody's fruit, and knowing whether or not that thing or those groups of things are good for you, for your family, for your community. If they are right, or if they are in line with the word of God, if you can find it in the Bible, and if they are good for the church, to be able to discern, to know right from wrong, to know good from bad. So we try to discern what's pleasing to God. A godly walk is not always easy. You all know this. It's not always easy, right? We're trained by the world from the time we're young to look like the world, and we're told by the institutions, schools, and People who don't have your eternal existence as a priority, what is best for you? That's the reality of where our kids live today when they go to school. Oftentimes, as they are being brought up by people who might not necessarily care what happens to your kids when they die. Is my child going to go to heaven? Do the people that you have exposing your kids to, do the people that you allow your kids exposure to during the day, whether it be school, daycare, Whatever that might be, do they have your child's eternal existence in mind? Sometimes it's hard, it's hard to have that 100% of the time, right? It's tough. It's tough in schools. It's tough just with care providers. Something you just need to consider with the uh, quality of care for your kids. The answer to this is to study the Word of God and listen or read to good scholarly material and make educated and prayerful decisions. So we should always be discerning the things that are around us, right? So it's like... Um, Security, right? When you do security, right? It's paramount, it's continuous, it's 360 degrees. You guys all learned this years ago. That's what discernment is. It's paramount, it's continuous, it's 360 degrees. Everything that I see, everything that I hear in my purview is something that I should be scanning and checking whether or not to see if it's the enemy or whether it's a friendly. It's really that simple. And how often does it happen? All the time. So the next one is going to be verse 11. It says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. So don't do the things the world does. Even if you're not partnered up with the world, just don't do the things that they do. Just because you're in church and look like you're living uh, you know, a healthy Christian lifestyle, you walk in and out of a church building if you do that, or you come in and out of here, just because you're in church or in a church group living a holy life, doesn't give you a pass to live like a sinner the rest of the week. So whatever that thing is that's in the rest of your life that you need to get rid of, you need to repent from. What does it mean to repent? Yeah, you can say it out loud if you like. Yes, you can apologize to your wife or your husband if you like. You can, but the reality is you need to turn away from it and not do it anymore. You turn away from whatever that sin is and turn towards God. That's what repentance really is. So don't do those things. It means... Also, that good works in a false church are unfruitful. This is a difficult one, right? This is one of the arguments atheists use against the church. It's like, but what about people who do good things? It's unfruitful. It doesn't matter. Fruit to the believer doesn't mean good stuff happened. Fruit to the believer means it's done with the right heart. I love that uh, saying of John, right? Why, Why do we love Jesus? Because he first loved us. That's how we reciprocate God's love. We serve people because God loves us. And then when we serve them, it edifies the Lord, right? It's not just good for us. It's not just good for them. God loves it. He loves those things that we do because we do it for the right reason, in the right heart. We don't do it just because it makes us feel good. Remember what that's called when you just do things because they make you feel good? 
It's called selfishness. <laughs> so there you go. That's how we define that. Let's go on to the next one. This is the last one. Verse 11. Here's where the rubber meets the road, and people don't like this one at all. People use the word judgmental. I just say it's biblical. But here it is. In verse 11, right after it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, it says this. Instead, do what? Expose them. Ooh, man, people don't like being told that's not good for you. You shouldn't do that. Those people aren't Christians. That's not what believers do. That's a false gospel. That's not what Jesus would do. That's not in the word of God. People hate that. They hate that when it's coming from the pulpit in their church. They hate it when they're sitting in a church that's doing it. They hate it when they're practicing it. But look, it says it right there, black and white in my Bible. Instead, expose them. Expose what? Expose who? The unfruitful deeds that they do. When someone's doing them, expose them. They're in. Just let them know. I'm not saying you need to put it on social media, but you, you know, you go to them and then um, let them know what's going on. So the world calls this being judgmental. God calls it discernment. That's what he calls it. There are 27 books in the New Testament, right? You guys have learned this. If you learned it as, as a kid, as a young believer, 27 books in the New Testament. 25 of those books make it pretty clear about identifying false teachers. This is one of those cases. So I'd say it's relatively important if 25 out of 27 of the books say, hey, identify teachers who are not doing the right thing, right? It's not judgmental. It's practical. It's what we're supposed to do. So like I said, critics are going to say judgmental. So here's the one they like to pull up. But didn't Jesus say, judge lest thou be judged? Yeah, absolutely. Let's pull that, let's pull that up and let's start talking about it. He did. They leave out the rest of the passage is the problem, which is why you need to go there and read the rest of it, right? It also says to remove the plank from your own eye, right? This is about calling out sin in others that we're doing ourselves. It's about me being judgmental of somebody else's sin and following the law when I am not doing so. This has nothing to do with allowing somebody to know they're walking in sin. It's totally out of context. It's not a, a, a call to be soft on sin. It's a call to be holy, Okay. So even in the church, uh, Jesus tells us to call out sin. Matthew 18, rebuke it if necessary. We're called to rebuke sin. Hey, what you're doing is sinful. And then if I can't get you to do it, I get one of my brothers and we come to you and we say, hey, what you're doing is sinful. Jesus in John 7, 7 says this, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about that its works are evil. It's like Jesus didn't come and judge everybody. No, Jesus said it hates him because it, he basically came here and said, hey, what you're doing, that's evil. People miss out on verses like this when they're like, yeah, but Jesus just loved everybody. You'd be more like him. You're, no, you're not reading the word of God. Jesus absolutely did come to love everybody and die for them. But he also said, I need you to be holy. You can't do those things. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus calls on sinners to repent, to turn away from their sin. What does it mean to repent? When you've turned away from something, that is a direct call that somebody in your life or the Holy Spirit convicting you has said, hey, that thing you're doing, it's wrong. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. So if Jesus says to, he, that he is calling you to repent, then absolutely judgmentalism is part of who we are as believers. We're called to let each other know what is right or wrong. Don't touch the hot stove. Don't touch the hot stove. So in the spirit of discernment, we're going to go over a couple things. I want to lay out my thoughts on a few things so that you can hear me say this clearly, right? When we started this, um, in the first couple of meetings, we, we kind of talked about Timothy and Titus and the expectations you should have of me if I'm going to study and exposit the Word of God uh, every week for you, things you should expect of me um, doing this. And if I'm out of line, you need to bring that up. Or I, if I disqualify myself, you need to bring that up. And as we talked about those things, one of the things I said that we would do is there are some places that we will not play music from. And we've talked about this as well. Like there are some places that I feel are very <laughs> evil that are eking their way into the, they're not eking their way into the church. They are dominating the church. And you've heard me say it, but I don't think I've yet sat down and told you why. And it's important because it relates directly to this message. And it fires me up because this 
is an epidemic in the Christian church and it needs to be exposed and it needs to be squashed. And if you can tell all your neighbors and all your friends that are believers, at some point we'll get them gone because it's in the church and it's evil and it needs to go away. It's in all the churches. Okay, let's talk about it. We'll start with music. So you've heard me talk about this. A few places we won't play here. Hillsong, Elevation, Bethel, and Jesus Culture. Four of the biggest, I'm doing air quotes for you, Christian music production companies, worship bands in the world. Multi-multi-million dollar productions of Christian music. Let's talk about why. So we're going to add to this list also some false teachers at the end, and I'm not going to dive into everything they all do wrong. I'm going to give you some lists, just some stuff you can look into. They need to be avoided, and we'll hit some vague reasons, okay? So let's start just with the music, because this one I'm passionate about. It's biblical that we stay away from it, and it relates to exposing these things. Hillsong, Hillsong United, you've probably heard of them. One of the biggest ones that plays music anywhere. Great music. I remember years ago when that song Oceans came out, my kids would be blasting it in the car and singing it, and it sounds great. It sounds great. It was founded in Australia in 1983. They have women as pastors. They're part of the Word of Faith movement. We can get into that later if you want to ask questions. They preach a prosperity gospel. In a nutshell, the prosperity gospel is this. If you give money or you believe a certain way, you will prosper now because of that. Okay, that is antithetical to the Word of God. We are not called to prosper here in any way. As a matter of fact, I mean, Matthew 24 is a great book to read if you think I'm wrong. Things get worse, they get worse, they get worse. You know, we get hated, we get hated, then we die and we go to heaven. It doesn't say you're going to get richer, you're going to get better, you're going to be healed. So, prosperity gospel. They have a very weak stance on sex- sexuality. Homosexuality and all this kind of stuff is it's prevalent in the church and they won't take a stand against it. Their leader, Brian Houston, he just stepped down recently uh, after a sex scandal Big one. Their New York church leader, Carl Lentz, you may have heard of him before. Like I think Justin Bieber was going to his church. He's like one of the star pastors, right? Super rich, spends more time probably out shooting hoops with movie stars than actually reading the Bible. And it's evident in his church. Um, he just stepped down due to, due to an affair and sexual assault. So a bunch of charges around these guys. Brian Houston's a mess. That guy, theologically, I don't even think he's ever opened the Word of God. I think probably what he does is a lot of eisegesis. He's like, I have an idea, and I'll Google that idea and put the word Bible behind it, and I'll get some Bible verses to use to support that idea. That is clear eisegesis, and it is incorrect. It's satanic. Who else did that? Satan did it. He did it right to Christ on a couple of occasions, right? Turn those rocks into... And the bread, feed yourself, right? He utilized the biblical text to try to get Christ in a jam. This is what a lot of these teachers do. They'll utilize biblical text out of context to try to get people to believe. Elevation Church, right down here in Charlotte. Huge, huge church. It's led by a guy named Stephen Furtick. Anybody want to guess what his net worth is? $55 million dollars. I was in Charlotte yesterday. There are people starving in Charlotte. And there is a pastor that supposedly is a man of God and there are people starving in Charlotte. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that dude should not have fit. I'm not against pastors having money. I'm not against, some of these guys, like they write books, they make money in other, I get it. But when you're worth $55 million, there's something wrong when people are giving money to your church. He could probably cut that down to $54 million, have plenty to live on, and that church would never need to take a dime again. I can't even imagine what interest rate that makes in a savings account. Anyway, he lives in a mansion. He drives some pretty nice sports cars. He's one of those guys. There's a funny thing online where they go over how much the shoes they wear are, like $3,000 sneakers. He's one of those guys. He's a modalist. We can get into this more later, but really what a modalist is, is they, a modalist will believe that God shows up in different modes. It's non-Trinitarian. So we believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. And they all exist at the same time as three persons, part of the Godhead. Modalist believes God is just God, and then they show up as Jesus 
or show up as the Holy Spirit or show up as God the Father. They show up in different modes. That's heresy. It was actually a heresy from like the second century that got squashed by those guys and it pops up every number, a couple centuries. So he's one of those. He teaches what's called a little God theology. Little God theology is you are a little God. And here's one of the examples. And I quoted this. I sent this to a buddy recently. He said, when God answered Moses, remember when God, what Moses asked God, who are you? He said, I am. I am. That's who God is. What he says, what Spurdick says is when God said, I am, he means you are as I am. <laughs> no, God did not mean that you're God. I am means I'm Yahweh. I'm God. I'm not like you. Um, he teaches men are like gods. He said, Jesus does not have the power to overcome your disbelief. He said, he quoted, he quoted right from the guy. Jesus does not have the power to overcome your disbelief. They have a part in the crowd. We were talking to somebody a while ago. They actually have a line to get in that church. And they only take a certain number of people in because it's like a rock concert. They turn down the lights and have a rock concert. They have people that sit in the front that are cued in on when they should like stand up and yell and wave their hands and stuff because it gets the rest of the crowd going. It's experientialism. They fire people up. Well, that's a great thing to do right before you pass the basket so you can get people to give. Um, Bethel Church, Bill Johnsman, prosperity gospel. He believes in this thing called kenosis. So kenosis is really that Jesus was just a man. You've heard this before, Jesus emptied himself. But they believe Jesus was not God, that he came and was just a man. He had no ability to heal, cast out demons, or raise the dead. That actually God did those and Jesus was just a man. No, the Bible's clear Jesus did them. He teaches what's called a separationalist theology. Jesus is not the Christ, right? He didn't do the saving. He was not the Messiah. He was just the man. So he's separated from his divinity. Emotionalism. Bethel Church is the largest production company of Christian music on the planet. They have rock concerts. If you ever watch them on TV, big laser light shows, check this out. If you go sit in one of their services, they will drop angel feathers from the rafters or even gold dust but what they tell the people is they're having some sort of moment and the holy spirit is there and there are feathers from angels are actually dropping onto the crowd and the people believe it i don't know how people believe it but they do and then they give their money which blows my mind but this is the one that always freaks me out they had a two-year-old who was the child of a couple who was in church leadership there die while they were there so they are part of the charismatic movement, a fringe part of the charismatic movement who believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit being extended into today and they still exist. It's a whole other conversation. But one of those things is Jesus and the apostles brought people back from the dead. So they kept this two-year-old child there for eight days in an attempt to pray over them and have them come back from the dead. For eight days, that child rotted there while they prayed over it. I think that's disgusting. It's a pretty low view of our God. Why that child specifically? It's heresy. It's ridiculous. Jesus culture, it's part of Bethel music. You've heard their music. It's associated with other heretics such as Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Todd Bentley, and a bunch of others. But if you go to a church today in this county... Every one of them will play their music. Every single one of them will play all the music from all of those companies. I guarantee every one of them does. All of them. Unless you go to maybe some of the Reformed, I don't think there's a regular Reformed church here, but like older Baptist churches that still play hymns. There's a couple churches that still do hymns. If they're not doing hymns, they're doing those. Unbelievable. If you look up on the screen when they're playing those hymns in the bottom right or bottom left corner, it'll tell you which production company puts it out. Think about this for a second. What does that mean when a company puts their production company name up on it? It means they're getting paid for it. It means that churches pay for the material to put it up on their screen. So if you're paying your tithe to your church or paying your gift to your church and your church is paying a heretical church for their music, guess what you're doing? You're putting the money in the hands of heretics. That's just the way it is. Your offerings fund their church. I'm going to talk about a few false church teachers, false teachers. Benny Hinn. I don't know if you guys have seen him. He does this healing thing. 
he recently did something where he's like, oh, God is on the stage with me. Can you feel his presence? He's the guy who will take off his jacket and like whip people with it. I don't know about you guys. If I go to get blessed and some little dude whips me with a sport coat, uh, he is going to feel the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know, like getting kicked by a donkey, right? <laughs> um, and um, he'll even do this to the crowd. He'll like whip his jacket over the crowd. People are falling down. They've got the shakes. He was actually exposed by some private investigators a few years ago where they went in and they just found like a comm system. And they have people who like wrote letters to the church. Oh yeah, I, I have back pain and I've had it for 10 years, but I'm going to be at your show in Atlanta next week. And they, they've got your mail. They've got your name. They've got your address. And he'll be like, oh, John Smith from you know, wherever in Atlanta, you have back pain, you're in here somewhere. I mean, it's just a big lie. It's a big scam. They've caught him. His son, excuse me, his uh, nephew actually has one of the largest, best resources for all of this prosperity preacher stuff. If you want to write his name down, his name is Costi, C-K-O-S-T-I, Hin, H-I-N-N, exposes all the stuff that's in that movement. And he's a great guy. He's a believer. He's reformed. Super good guy. Um, Todd White, if you guys haven't seen him, he's the guy who will make one leg the same length as the other. He's like, oh, man, you have back pain, don't Like, go right up to people on the street. Hey, sit down for me. Oh, look, one of your legs isn't as long as the other. You know, like, try to lengthen your leg. It's, a, it's an old parlor trick. He's, he's a liar. He's a loser. Uh, T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is one of the best writers out there, biggest writers out there, all these books. Modalism. Joel Osteen, biggest church in the United States of America. It's in Texas. I, I think the big thing for him lately was that big storm, that pastor Houston. And like they own what used to be the old Houston basketball team's stadium. That's where their church fills up every week. They fill a basketball stadium every week. His dad started that movement. They are multi, multi-millionaires. He drives sports cars that are worth more than you and I will ever make in a lifetime complete false gospel when asked to stand on the truth on many topics he falls away he is super rich i mean he lies about the gospel of jesus christ uh he, he just one of the worst out there stephen furtick i've talked to you about beth moore beth moore so this has been one lately with the southern baptist convention because there are people in the convention that want to see beth moore get ordained and there are people who are really fighting for her She's a smart lady. She's well-spoken. She's probably the most popular female teacher that's out there. She's pushed back against the Southern Baptist Convention because the Southern Baptist Convention believes that only men can be preachers or teachers, pastors. And she believes in like egalitarianism, which is women can be pastors as well. It's not biblical. I'm sorry. It's not my thoughts. It's God's thoughts. But... She's got this big thing where she hears from God, that God actually talks to her, talks to her in that still small voice. That's something we'll get into at some point in time. If people tell you they're waiting on that still small voice, that has nothing to do with your prayers towards God. That is a completely different thing. Elijah and God, and God didn't speak audibly. The still small voice came and signs and wind, <laughs> completely different. We don't hear from God in a still small voice. We hear from him by reading the word of God. Um, she admitted that her house is out of order. She has admitted that her husband does not lead the house spiritually, that he's not even interested in theology. <clears throat> so let me get this straight. God has been clear through the New Testament that the man is the head of the woman, the man is the head of the household, that as a pastor, Timothy and Titus, man is, a man is the head of the church, like a family, the man is not the head of her household, but she somehow is the spiritual head of her household. So she's going to be the spiritual head of a bunch of other people, women and men. It's out of line. It's ungodly. Um, who else? Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Copeland. He's the one who did the little video. I blow the coronavirus away, which made some for some great screamo rock videos, but there's this thing with prophets, you know, when they prophesy something and it doesn't come true, they're false prophets, but people keep sending their money. Priscilla Shire. Prayer closet. You guys see that movie? She goes into her prayer closet. 
Great movie. We watched it. Um, She's a great charismatic preacher. But she's preaching. And she hears from God. She's got a lot of weird stuff going on. Tyler Perry, one of the big movie makers that's out there, supposedly a Christian, you know, has preached in uh, Joel Osteen's church. Dresses like a woman in most of his movies. I I don't know how to get around that one. Uh, Rick Warren wrote the biggest Christian book ever in history. It's one of the top sellers of all history, Purpose Driven Life. They were part of the SBC, very charismatic. Um, He's also ordained some women into the church. A lot of bad stuff going on. Paula White, does that name ring a bell? Paula White was um, President Trump's spiritual advisor. I mean, Paula White is about as big a heretic as you could possibly believe. That lends to another conversation. But prosperity gospel preaching, she's the pastor of a church. Her husband is the keyboardist for Journey. Uh, This lady is so far out of line, it's just unbelievable. Made a bunch of prophecies that haven't come true. I mean, she's a false teacher. It's plain and simple, right? So most of these people are rich, as you would imagine. They take their money, you give their money, they use it to fund their own stuff, not to fund things in the community to help people. All of them preach that you can, should, or will receive some sort of temporal blessing from God in the form of health or wealth. That's why it's called the health and wealth prosperity gospel. Or healing and relationships. You know, you're going to find that new husband or find that new girlfriend. Um, find a new job. All of them tie those blessings directly to sending money to the church. <laughs> like planting a seed, send us your money. Or they tie it directly to some sort of prayer. Like your prayer life isn't good enough. You know, you're, you don't believe hard enough. Most of them are tied to what's called the New Apostolic Reformation in some way. And the NAR is part of the, the Pentecostal charismatic movement that started in the 1800s. That went out of control and turned into this thing where people are basically trying to get people to feel as though they're filled with the Spirit. And then give their money out through what's called emotionalism which is like the rock star emotionalism, which you pull somebody into church, turn the lights down, turn the fog machine on, get the laser light show going, and you play rock music for 10 or 15 minutes, and people are crying, and they're raising their hand like, can you feel the spirit in here? That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. You are indwelt with God. He's in you. Everywhere you go, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying you can't have some sort of feeling like something is very emotional with God, but the reality is, That when somebody's like, can you feel God up in this place? It's just a lie. That's not the way God works. Bless you. God is in you. Worship is not music. Worship is an extension of how we conduct ourselves in our walk. Everything you do, say, believe, act, the way you love is all worship. So they try to tie it into this music. Get you emotionally charged. Give you some sort of message that lets you believe if you just give this time you're going to get that blessing that you need you just got to believe it just got to believe it it's all part of that new apostolic reformation prosperity gospel so let's be clear matthew 24 jesus promised tribulation and then eternal life he didn't promise he was going to make your leg longer than the other he didn't promise you were going to be healed i'm not saying people can't be healed that's a whole whole different story we can talk about that can people be healed sure I, i believe so But what he did promise was tribulation. And then what he promised was eternal life. That is the goal. The goal is not, oh, you're going to have financial stability. No, the goal is you get to be with God, the Father in heaven. The goal is you believe in Jesus and Jesus takes you to his Father to present you there. Because he cleansed you. That's the goal. The goal is not prosperity, wealth, health, money, a good job, a great wife. It's not. Your life can suck. If you get to heaven, you win. That's winning. When you get there, if you have God, you win. That's the end game. This is temporary. That is eternal. Right? So he promised us the Holy Spirit. That's the other thing he promised us. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. John 16. He promised us joy in the knowledge of our salvation that comes from him when we abide in him. John 15. That's what he promised us. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to indwell inside of you. He's going to give you hope. That joy is not happiness. There is a difference. You can be totally unhappy, but filled with the joy that you know you're going to heaven. 
when you go through that tribulation <coughs> because you're going to live in eternity with him. Eternal life. So you need to check everything that you hear, everything you read, everything you listen to. You need to check me. You need to check the things that I say. Take a note on something you think is wrong. Take a note. Read it. I said something wrong last week. Did anybody catch it? I said something that was absolutely unbiblical last week when we talked. And then afterwards, Carol and I talked about it. I'm like, did you hear me say that? And she's like, yeah, I did, but she didn't bring it up. I was talking about marriage, and I said the goal of my marriage is for us to be married forever. We're not married forever. We're married while we're on earth together. There is no marriage in heaven. Jesus was clear about it. Now, it was a misspeak. I wasn't doing it out of heresy. I don't believe in eternal marriage. But it was, I was on a roll, right? And I was getting excited. And I love my wife. And I want to be with her forever. But what I meant was we were going to be married for our forever. For our forever here until we, we die. But check. Check what you're listening to. You need to know that what you're getting is right. Check everything. So Paul's clear. Don't be deceived. This is what we just went through. Don't be deceived. Don't partner with. Be discerning. Take no part in. They're unfruitful works. One of the ones you need to have on your radar is critical race theory. You guys have probably talked about this a little bit. CRT, big deal right now. Today, the SBC, today, today, sanctioned by the Southern Baptist Convention is Racial Reconciliation Day. I don't get it, man. I will not sit in a church with a heretical preacher telling me that I owe somebody else something because of their color. Nor will I bring my wife and my kids who are not white into a church and have a pastor, a preacher, or a teacher tell them that they're owed something by somebody else when they don't know my wife and the blessings that we have and they don't know that white guy down at the end who is on his last string and wants to go home and end his life because he's hopeless. He doesn't owe my wife anything. If anything, we owe him the attention or her the attention to let them know that there's hope in Christ. When we start trying to reconcile people by their color, we are sadly mistaken and out of line. And that church, people should not go today. And if they do go and they hear it because they didn't know it was coming, they should leave. Close the doors, close their bank account with their direct deposit of them, and close the Southern Baptist Convention. Vote for new leaders. Fix it. It's heretical. It is wrong. There's only one reconciliation for the body of Christ. I'll read it to you. Romans 5.10, it says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. That's reconciliation. I'm not shamed saying we shouldn't get along with other people that don't look like us. That's ridiculous. Of course we should. But we love the other people in our church congregation because we know that we're all sinners and we all need Jesus. That's an even playing field. Whether you're a member of the clan or a member of the Black Panthers or you're the best white person or best black person or Chinese person or Native American person, it does not matter. We are reconciled to God through Christ. That's our even playing field. All sinners. We are all sinners and need Christ. That's the reconciliation we need. Consider what Paul's teaching here. Don't let anyone deceive you. Do not partner with them. Be discerning. Walk as children of the light. And don't take part in their works. Verse 13 to 14. We're going to finish up on this. I'm just going to get through this one little part. It says that the light exposes what's in the dark. This is a pretty simple concept. God is light. He exposes what's in the dark. <clears throat> read you a verse. Jesus tells us in John 3, 19 and 20. He says this. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, Christ, right? The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. People don't like their works being exposed. People don't like being told they're sinful. People don't like being told that what they're doing is wrong. I don't like being told that what I'm doing is wrong. And you probably don't either. Because you know how people are. Hey, you're not doing that right. No, I'm doing it my way. Okay, well, it's not right. You should do it right. Right? It's like some things there are multiple ways to do. Some things 
There's like a right way and then there's multiple things to do. With God, it's often the latter, right? Uh, to bring this down to a real practical lesson and to make it so you can bring this message home would be this. Do you love your wife enough or your kids enough or your family or friends enough to take a stand for your faith and your salvation? Do you love them enough to be the guy that says, that's wrong, this is discerning, you're not doing something right? Or my family's in a place where they shouldn't be. Or what's on our TV shouldn't be there. Or what's on our radio shouldn't be on our radio. Or the movie that we're watching at the movie theater, we should walk out of because it's not what we should have for our kids. Or those people that we're spending time with, we shouldn't. Or this conversation that I'm in, I'm going to back out of. Do you love your family enough? Do you love your wife enough to separate them and have them be holy, right? I had a conversation with a pastor of a church plant that we started to be a part of at one point in time a couple years ago. My kids were doing worship music for them, or the music, worship music, for them uh, weekly almost, regularly. And we were happy to help. He was playing music from all the above listed stuff. And we went a few times and I was just starting to get into this where I understood where a lot of it was coming from. So I approached him about it and I was like, this is not the right thing to do. This is not the right thing to do to be playing music from these places. And he answered basically and said that the songs sing about Jesus and that's all that matters. It's all that matters. They sing songs about Jesus. So this was a church plant and it was filled with young military families younger military families. And a lot of those guys were deploying regularly, in and out often, if that makes sense. And I want you to imagine this for a second. You guys have all deployed. You guys have all been out. You've all left your wife with your kids in somebody else's hands before. Pastor's hands, a leader's, a youth leader. You've left the, your family in their hands. You have some expectations for their safety. You have some expectations that what they're getting is wholesome, holy, and right. And that they would do their best for your wife and for your children because it has eternal implications. So imagine, if you will, your wife and your kids go to church. She hears a song. She loves it. Touches her. This is great. That song is saying what I'm feeling today. And that's fine. She goes home. She pulls up the Google machine, puts it in sees it comes from a church and she goes to that church and she starts watching that teaching and then she ends up following that heretical teaching all the while you're gone what kind of position does this put you in where you're allowing somebody to have that power over your family we need to make sure that we are wrestling with this regularly we need to know what our family is getting I'd say a couple things about this. Um, one is that pastor is going to be held accountable for leading sheep astray, clearly. As a matter of fact, textually, what God would say is that pastor is actually more accountable than you because that being in that position puts them in a position where God says, I'm holding you more accountable for what you say and what you do for these people. But the, real, the reality is it's your family that's at risk. It's your family that's getting lied to. It's your wife and your kids that are going to places and taking in things that they shouldn't. So from the get-go, when you go into a church, and I know people don't like it, what do you teach here? You know, we looked for a church for our youngest when we went to Charlotte. We visited a bunch of churches, and I have come to a point in my life where like, it gets easier and easier. It's hard for me to find a church as a younger guy. It's easier and easier. With the internet, go to their statement of faith. Read it. Find the ones that are in line with your statement of faith. Go visit them. Ask a list of questions about the music they play and what they teach. I mean, we went to Charlotte and it was like, we'd go to churches that had Black Lives Matter banners on the front of them. Statement of faith is in line, drive by the front, Black Lives Matter. Criminal organization supporting it on the front of the church. I guess we're just going to keep driving by. So if you see what I'm saying, discerning. Make sure we're not going someplace. Series of churches down there out of line. But anyway, listen to what it says here. In 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. We brought this up earlier. This is the fellowship we have, the church that we're in. But seems like a lot of bad news. It's not just all bad news, right? God has given us the Holy Spirit and he's given us wisdom. That's how we discern that wisdom. The ability to discern what is good for our lives. Don't be ashamed to separate yourself from people that are around you, that are your friends even, that are just not good for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't feel bad. Sorry, man. It's not good for me. You know, if you're like me, a major alcoholic, you separate yourself from it. When you know things are not going your way, you take it away from yourself. You, you separate yourself. If you can separate yourself from things, you can separate yourself from people. Right? Separate yourselves from the popular opinion, the mainstream, the mainstream belief, and the cultural norms. And that's the hardest one. Culture is doing it. I'm just going to follow in line. See, Paul finishes this whole section that we just read with this thing, this little part here that seems to line up with Isaiah 60, verse 1, right? I'll just read it here. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Right? Isaiah, actually, from that verse says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You know when you first wake up in the morning? You know, the first like feeling like you should wake up, and uh, if you're like me, you check your watch or check your phone. I'm getting a little older, my vision's bad. Plus the blurriness of my eyes and you can't quite see it. Your body aches a little bit. It's hard to turn, get your feet out. God's saying, awake, oh sleeper. Like as you wake up, things are kind of slow moving. Maybe that one arm fell asleep and you can't like, turn the alarm off. Things are blurry. Things are just coming into view. Try to figure out what's going on. The sights and sounds. The light's hard to get organized into your eyes. Hard to figure out. See, when we wake up in our faith, when we start really, really waking up in our faith, when we wake up from the dead and begin to realize that the light is shining on us and has the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we start to gain a better perspective of the things that are around us that are bad, the things around us that are dark, and the things around us that are good for us, things that are around us that exist in the light that have a positive influence on us. So that is my prayer. My prayer this week for you as we finish is this. My prayer for you is that you will crave discernment. It's not a bad thing to find out that something is bad. It's a good thing to find out that something's not good for you. Imagine if you smoked your entire life and nobody ever told you, hey, that's bad for you. And then you died of some sort of weird disease associated with smoking. Like you would have wished somebody had said, hey, that's not good for you when you were younger. Except in this case, it doesn't just have this life's implications as eternal implications. We gain a better perspective as we wake up in the faith. Again, a better perspective of things around us, right? So I want you to pray for God to expose the things in your life that aren't good, whether it be music or TV or movies, people. Read your Bible. Find out the things in there God's going to expose to you and you'll find. I pray he will convict you not to partner with people. That's a different one. Convict you not to partner with people especially people that are walking in darkness. And I hope you'll walk in the light as faithful believers with a desire to please God, okay? And I'm going to read this quote, and then we'll go on and Tom can lead us in some praise to our God. I'm going to close with this quote. John Calvin, whom you've all heard of, um, he said this, He who in sincerity of heart spends his life, yea, every part of it, in fear and service of God, and faithfully worships him, walks in the light. So that's how you walk in the light. Fear and service of God, faithfully worshiping him. For he keeps the right way, though he may in many things offend and sigh under the burden of the flesh. So no matter how hard you try, you're just going to keep stumbling. No matter how hard you work, you're just going to keep stumbling. No matter how hard you strive to be good and right, you're just going to keep stumbling. Life sucks sometimes. It's like I never feel like I can win or get ahead. We strive for it. We strive for the fear and service of God, faithfully worship Him. You know, that's where you walk in the light. So it can be tough. Our flesh is going to call us away. Fear and serve your God. Worship faithfully. Walk in the light. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we just thank you for the ability to read your word, to help 
Teach us to be discerning, prayerful Christians who love our families enough to share the truth, who love our friends enough to share the truth, who love you enough, Lord, that we'd share your truth with them. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this lesson. But most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who became the propitiation of our sin on the cross, who took it away for us, Lord, so that we may spend eternity in your light. And we ask for these things in his holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.